Welcome to Southern Illinois Worship Center. Today, you'll be hearing a powerful message from our latest series. Let's listen in now. So last night, uh, I was in my prayer time, and the Lord spoke to me about a couple things. One of them is for you. The rest of it was for me. Um, But I wrote it down. Uh, Well, when I say I wrote it down, it means I typed it. Uh, The Lord wanted me to tell you that the disease that you have or the enemy is telling you you have. A disease is quantified by a malfunction in the body that has a certain amount of symptoms with it. That means that there is something definitive that you can point to and say, I have that. I don't want you to point to that and say, I have that. Because disease is a dysfunction in order for the enemy to distract you from the direction that God has for you in your destiny. So I know many of you may have been facing something that you have never faced before. And there is a specific thing that you can point to and say, well, I have that. I don't want you to look at the specific symptoms of a disease that the enemy is telling you you have so that you become distracted away from your direction for God's destiny over your life. Instead, you have to look at the enemy and say, I have him. And because I have him, that will not destroy me. Because I have him, that will not distract me. Because I have him, that will not derail me. Because I have him, I am going to be healed in Jesus' name. Because I have him, this sickness is not unto death, but I shall live and I will not die, but I will declare the works of the Lord. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. So, I was scheduled, and I'm going to keep it within the bounds of the series that I'm going to do called It Is Written. But um, the other day when I was starting to type this out and write it out, the Lord spoke to me about talking about the epitaphs of what ifs. The epitaph is the final thing that is written about you. It's the final thing. It's what everybody will remember you by. And for some odd reason, uh, last week, you know, the Lord began to speak to me about it and recalled in my mind when we were buying the tombstone for my father about five years ago, we, my mom was, wanted to say something on it that reminded everybody of the personality and the type of the person that my dad was. And so we put on the tombstone, the mountains are calling and I must go. So that when people look at that, that's an old saying about going to Colorado. My parents love going to Colorado. They love the mountains. And so on my father's tombstone is this, this saying, it just says, it's the last thing that anybody ever read about him is the mountains are calling and I must go. And all of us can live our lives in such a way that we can dictate the last thing that people will ever read about us. The story is told back in the 1800s of a man by the last name of Nobel who his family were the founders and the creators of dynamite and nitroglycerin and and blasting caps and they had the family name being the merchants of death and Alfred Nobel's brother had a heart attack and he passed away 
And this is before social media, but things still go wrong. Even though people want to be the first to tell you something, they get it wrong, even though we're in the day of social media. They're just quicker at getting it wrong than back in the day in the 1800s where they were writing newspapers. But they, the newspapers thought that it was Alfred Noble who had died and not, and not his brother. And so they wrote the obituaries for Alfred Noble. And the obituaries were so despicable about him that this merchant of death, as he read the obituaries that were written about him, he made a massive change to his life because he didn't want the last things that people read about him to be that he was the merchant of death. He was the designer of weaponry. They were the people responsible for mass killings. And so he took his vast wealth that was accumulated by being the merchant of death and he established the Nobel Peace Prizes because he wanted what was what his lasting legacy, the epitaph of his life, not to be a person that was a merchant of death, but somebody who was a worker for the peace of the world. He was a man that had a rare possibility. He was a man who could see what people thought about him after he had died before he died. Wouldn't it be amazing if you could just look at it and say, you know, that's how I want people to be, remember me or read about me. That's what I want. And God gives us these opportunities or shall we say God gives us moments in our lives, that if you will ever seize the moment, the moment will create a different momentum in your life. But then in the same breath, the moment that God gives to you, that if you don't seize it, if you don't seize the opportunity that God has for you, that will create a momentum in a far different direction in your life. One way or the other, there is now a momentum that is created by what you do with the moments that God gives you. Just a few moments ago in this service, God opened up this place for healing, for miracles, for words of knowledge, and words of wisdom. And if you seized that moment, then it would create a momentum in your life like Don's friend where 15 years later, he's not contemplating suicide. Instead, he's going on missions trips. He's being reminded of the love of God. And if you miss your moment, likewise, Don was given a moment up there in the scissor lift. Had Don not seized the moment that God was giving to Don and creating the momentum in Don's life to go down there and interrupt somebody else's life and keep them from making a despicable decision over their life, then all of a sudden there's a whole different momentum that's going on. And so here's the, the ticket for the church. God gives you moments. There may be moments that you are receiving and there may be moments that you're giving. But whether you are the giver or whether you are the receiver, you must seize that moment and listen to the still small voice of God because you have no idea the momentum that's going to be created when you seize the moment that God has given to you. There's going to be a moment in this service in about 30 minutes where God's going to give you a moment to step out of where you are. And what you do with that moment is going to create momentum for the rest of your life. Either you will move closer to God and have a momentum of faith and of a spiritual life and living in peace and in prosperity with God. Or you're going to have momentum that will make you harder towards the things of God, much more difficult to move into the presence of God. It all depends on what you do with the moment that God gives you. And what most of us say is, well, there'll be another one. There'll be another moment. If they would just sing that song one more time. 
If he would just preach it one more time. If he would just ask me one more time. If the Lord would just show up one more time. But he keeps giving you moment after moment after moment. And you keep saying, well, if I could just have one more time. Well, today is your one more time. They've sang it one more time. I'm preaching it one more time. God is moving one more time. Now, after everybody else has done what they needed to do one more time, it's now time for you to do what only you can do. And that is to respond to the moment that God has for you. The moment. What will your epitaph read? Will it read, I seized my moments or I allow the moment to seize me? In a Maryland cemetery, there is an epitaph that reads, here lies an atheist, all dressed up and no place to go. But the fact is, that's a lie. Because there is a place to go. And where you go will depend on what you do with the moments that God gives you. See, it's contrary to what people think. There is eternity for everybody. Everybody's going to live for an eternity. Now, what it comes down to is the comfort of your eternity. If you'll take the moment that God gives you today, then you'll live with everlasting life. That's what Jesus came to do. It depends on what you do with Jesus. And a rejection of Jesus is an acceptance of going to eternal damnation. It depends on what you're going to do with the moment. There's a moment where God comes into the room and he wants to heal you. What you do with that moment depends upon the rest of your life. You can either say, by his stripes, we are healed. Or we can go with the old churchified slogans and say, you know what? This sickness is unto death. If God didn't want me to have it, he wouldn't have given it to me. Well, he didn't give it to you because he doesn't want you to have it. We need to get out of the mindset of the church and get into the mindset of Christ he came to set you free he came to heal you he came to deliver you he came to bring peace to you and joy to you he doesn't put on you more than you can bear if you can't bear it he came to take it off of you the last chapter that the apostle Paul wrote is 2 Timothy chapter 4. There's something liberating about being able to say whatever you want to say and you don't have to talk about it tomorrow. Anybody ever been around people who get older and they don't care what they say? Come on, say amen, Sherry. I mean, right, the older you get, there's just no filter. I'm going to say what I'm going to say. Live with it. That's what happens to preachers when we turn 45. I'm just going to say what I got to say because I'm getting closer to seeing Jesus and not going to give an account for it. So Paul is writing, this is the last chapter that he wrote. And he's writing to Timothy and and he knows Timothy's a person of faith because he began this letter by talking to Timothy and he says, hey, I know Timothy that you're a pastor. I know that you're a preacher. I recall the faith that was in your grandmother. I remember the faith that was in your mother. And, but I want to remind you, Timothy, to stir up the gift that is in you. 
And so Paul's last inclination is to talk to a person who is a pastor, who is in ministry, who is in leadership, and say, listen, you've got to be careful that you don't get stagnated in the faith of your predecessors. Instead, don't get caught up in what God did for your grandma and what God did for your mama. But hey, Timothy, there's a gift that's on the inside of you. And I want you, Timothy, to stir up that gift that's on the inside of you. And I know I speak to a generational church church today and this isn't about what God did for your grandfather or your grandmother or your mama or your papa this is about you getting that spoon of the Holy Spirit and stirring up the gift that's on the inside of you because our Paul's may leave us and all we have is our Timothy's and if Timothy's not on fire for God like Paul was on fire for God the church is in trouble but is there any Timothy's in the house that'll take the spoon of the Holy Spirit and and stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of us and say this thing is going to continue on. In verse 6 of 2 Timothy chapter 4, this is what Paul says. He said, I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is the final things that the apostle Paul is wanting to say. The words of dying men are stripped of hypocrisy. When people on their deathbed, there is no hypocrisy. They're not saying, you know, I wish I could have worked more. I wish I could have saved more money. It's stripped of all that hypocrisy. They're not sitting there saying, who did you vote for? No, when it comes down to it, when you're on your deathbed, you're stripped of all hypocrisy. It's the most truthful that people can ever be in their lives is the moments right before they die. It's stripped of all hypocrisy. The words of dying men tend to reveal their heart. What's really in there or on their minds? Napoleon on his deathbed said, I die before my time and my body will be given back to the earth to become the food of worms. Such is the fate which soon awaits the great Napoleon. Stripped of all hypocrisy. This great leader, I'm just going to be worm food. Mahatma Gandhi who said at the edge of his death, he said, my days are numbered for the first time in 50 years. I find myself in the sloth of despond. All about me is darkness. I am praying for light. Now, it's interesting to note that he quotes a book that he didn't even believe in. About a man who believed in a book that Gandhi didn't even believe in. He's quoting a book called Pilgrim's Progress about the sloth of despond. He's saying at the last moment of his life, he sees darkness all around him. But as a believer, we're brought into the light. And at the last moment, stripped of all of his hypocrisy, the way he lived was not bringing him to light. All it was was darkness. My friend, right before you and I go, we're either going to see heaven's angels escort us out of this earth through death, or we're going to see the trumpet of God's sound, and we're going to be caught up to meet him in the air. But it will not be despondence of darkness. It will be into his marvelous light. 
Talleyrand wrote on a paper that was left beside his bed. It was found after his death. And he wrote, what cares? What agitation? What anxieties? What ill will? What sad complications? And all without other results except great fatigue of mind and body and a profound sentiment of discouragement with regard to the future and disgust with regard to the past. What a way to die. A sad discouragement when I think about the future and disgust with regard to the past. As a believer, you don't have to worry about your past. Your past is covered under the blood. And you don't have to be unhopeful about the future. Your future is secured as long as you deal with Jesus in the present. If you don't miss your moment, then your past is taken care of. Your present, you're going to be just fine. And your future is secured. It matters what you do in the moment. So can we, as a body of believers, can we strip away all of the hypocrisy and all the church speak and all the church talk and all the, hey, I'm doing wonderful and everything's going good and everything is fine can you get the christian f word out of your mouth it's not fine you're worried you have anxiety you live in doubt but there is a moment right now if you'll strip away all of the hypocrisy and turn it over to jesus you'll not have to live in fear or in anxiety or worried about tomorrow all you have to do is trust jesus now God's giving you a moment, a moment to seize, a moment to possess, a moment to take action. And this moment can create, create momentum. And if you don't take it, it will derail you. Just for a moment in your own way, look back at the moments of your life. Look at the moments of change. December the 31st, two thousand. Seven, which would have been January the 1st of 2008. Melissa and I are in a church service. Melissa's asked to sing, and she said, I don't want to sing. And the preacher said, I want you to sing. Melissa said, I don't want to sing. He's trying to give God a moment, and Melissa's saying, I don't want the moment. And as Melissa is singing, in walks a pastor from Nashville, Tennessee. And we're not in Nashville, Tennessee. We were in Jackson, Tennessee. And we were there just to hang out for the New Year's. And as Melissa is singing, because somebody forced her into the moment. L.A. Chardwick and his wife were sitting on the front row, and I'm sitting on the second row. I had no idea who they were. All I know is I saw an elbow from Carol Hardwick into L.H.'s ribs and said, that's the couple for Heron. See, had Melissa said, no, I don't want the moment. No, I don't want the moment. And had we missed the moment, the momentum of that moment would not have brought us to Southern Illinois. Now, I don't know exactly what would have happened to this house or this church, but I know what has happened since. God allowed us to seize that moment and take a leap of faith into the arms of God. And that moment has built a momentum. And how many times has God presented to you a moment? If you'll just step out and speak a word. If you'll just lay hands on them. If you'll just whisper in their ears. If you'll just do what I'm telling you to do. You have no 
idea the momentum that will be created when you seize your moment. There was a moment on Valentine's Day of 2018. And we were sitting in my office. And I had brought my wife for the first time into a board meeting. And I walked in with my resignation papers and I laid them on the table. And Dan Brock seized the moment and slammed his fist into the table and said, over my dead body. Which shocked me. I'd never seen Dan ever get emotional. And he put that little finger in in my face and he said, you're not the man of God that I thought you were if you allow a hundred people who aren't even godly to run you out of town. And man, I tell you what, somebody sees their moment, which made me rethink my moment. And sometimes you're going to have to get a backbone and speak with some boldness and say over my dead body, you're not the man of God or the woman of God that I thought you were if you're going to allow a diagnosis to run you out of your destiny. Over my dead body matter of fact over Jesus his dead body because by his body and by his stripes you are healed in Jesus name I didn't have the opportunity to rip up my resignation papers he did it for me And there's some of you, the enemy is trying to talk you into giving up and backing down and jumping out. This is no time to jump out or give up or give in. It's time to rip up your exit strategy and put both feet right in the ground and say, we're going to have a move of God in our family. We're going to have a move of God in our marriage. We're going to have a move of God in our children. We're not breaking it up. We're not going to tear it down. Instead, we're going to the Lord in prayer and we're going to pray this thing through we're going to pray a move of God over our lives and over our children whatever it takes we're going to do it look at those moments of change look at those moments of decision moments that you could do different moments create momentum moments I was in my office last night. The Lord just kept going back all the times where I felt like I should have done something. I'm his pastor and I didn't do it. Matter of fact, I got, I heard Pastor Tim this morning talking about how the Lord was chiding him. Man, the Lord spoke so clearly to me last night. I went home shivering and it wasn't because it's unusually cold in March. Whatever is going on, I know what's going on in the weather. It's not mother nature. It's God trying to get people to repent. You think it's bad now, you wait till there's earthquakes and there's pestilences and there's famine and there's storms. You wait till then. And while we blame it on Mother Nature, it could be that America needs to repent. Just as clearly as the Lord spoke to me about parting my hair to the right to make a significant difference. 
that every time I would look in the mirror, it's totally backwards for me. I'm left-handed. I've never parted my hair to the right. Matter of fact, I didn't own a comb the entire time I have been married. Now I'm buying combs every time I go to the store because I don't like any of the combs that I have. I, so I'm trying to find, I got to find something that makes me comfortable in the change that God has for me in my life. Can I tell you, you can search for all the tools that you think will make you comfortable in what God has called you to do, but God doesn't want you comfortable. God wants you uncomfortable because if you're comfortable, you're walking in your own strength and in your own power. But when you're uncomfortable, you're having to walk in faith. You're not, I can't walk by sight. I can't deal with this or I can't deal with that. I'm just going to have to trust God and God wants to make a marked difference in your life that you're going to be uncomfortable from now until eternity. You'll get all the comfort you need come eternity, but right now God is pushing you into a level of uncomfortability for you to walk in your anointing like you have never walked before. I'm preaching better than y'all letting on. Some of you are ready to leave out of the destiny of your life. You should not get distracted by the enemy's lies. God has a destiny over you. Here's exactly how the Lord said it to me. You can take it for wherever you want. I don't feel like I'm this old, but apparently I'm this old. And God said to me, here I was boohooing and crying about Evan leaving. I'm like, Lord, have mercy. That man is a traitor. He's tearing me from one side to the other. And here's what God said. Now, y'all, just that's a joke. Here's what God said. God said, you have allowed Evan to lead you in worship and taking your ease at Zion. So I'm going to remove him out so daddy will finally lead the house in worship. You've been sitting here waiting for somebody else to have a move of God, Jason. It's time for you to lead the house. It's time for you to lead out. And I'm going to keep removing things out of your life until you get so uncomfortable, you'll trust me. And I'm telling you, if you get too comfortable with people and you start counting on people and not on God, God's going to start removing all of that out of your life so that you don't count on the people, you start counting on God. Because if God be for you, who can be against you? I mean, the governors are stacked against us. The presidents are stacked against us. The Congress is stacked against us. The economy is stacked against us. Inflation is stacked against us. We're in Illinois and that's stacked against us. The job situation is stacked against us. Unemployment is stacked against us. Everything is stacked against us. But God is getting ready to do something in this house and in this region that man can never take credit for. It's going to be our over victory in Jesus Christ. Don't worry about your job. Don't worry about your finances. Trust God. Trust him. Trust God. Don't worry about your health. Trust God. You know, Melissa and I pastored this church up until the last eight months without health insurance. Our entire staff has worked since the Affordable Health Care Act without insurance. My friends, we have trusted God. We have trusted God. Through COVID, when everybody else was staying home, the staff was here hugging necks and shaking hands and being friendly. And God brought us all through it. I'm telling you, trust God. I mean, I even see some trust in horses and some trust in chariots. But we will trust in the name of our God. Just look at those moments. 
of decision and moments that you could do different. I need to pause here and just get all the gossip out of the way. I bless Evan and Atlanta. I bless you and I love you. And we're going to be together forever. There's no animosity there in what I'm preaching. So stop with all the fingers and typing and wondering. Nope, it's the will of God. And who am I to outpray the will of God? Praise God. In John 5, John 5, there's a, a man who was stricken with a disease. And the scripture says, after this, there was a feast. So Jesus had just healed a nobleman's son. And after that, there was a feast, the feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He went up to Jerusalem. So any direction you would go to Jerusalem, you had to go up. And let me just tell you this. Anytime you want to be in the presence of God, you're going to have to work your way up. I'm tired. I don't feel like doing it. Well, you're never going to feel like going up. How many of y'all like the treadmill when it gets to 15? I just had to look at somebody glaringly who always turns the treadmill up to 15. And this is, you can do it, you can do it. I'm like, well, you get on here and do it. <laughs> it's for your good. I'll choke you out and I'll feel better. <laughs> From any direction, north, south, east, west, to go to Jerusalem, you had to go up. Church has always wanted to have an uphill move of God with downhill habits. But if you want to have an uphill move of God, you're going to have to go up. You mean you're going to have to get up, lift up, stand up, and look up. You always want to be down here. You're going to have to get up. Stop talking down about Southern Illinois. Stop. No, this is God's house. This is God's land. We are not Egypt. We're not in bondage. We are the heartland. Who wonder what's going to happen? I'll tell you what's going to happen. We're going to have a move of God. You know why? Because the word says, in the last days, saith God. You're going to do what? You're going to pour out his spirit. So, in, so let me get back to John 5. So there's a feast. They're going up to Jerusalem. See, I digress in scriptures, and that's what makes me preach three hours. But you know, I'm kind of tired of church being geared to the lukewarm. I'm just kind of tired of church being geared towards... You know, I got to get to Bob Evans. Well, if that's the highlight of your day, you ain't been in a move of God. Because if you get in a move of God, that pecan encrusted whatever fish you're going to get to Bob Evans will never satisfy you. But the bread of heaven will rock your world. So he's there at the Feast of the Jews. and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So the feast there, most biblical theologians or historical people believe that the feast that they're talking about is the Feast of Pentecost. 
So it's the feast that is, now because we're in the book of John, we're not to Acts yet. The day of Pentecost in Acts has not happened yet. So this is not a celebration of the spirit. This is a celebration of the giving of the law. So here they are going up to worship at Jerusalem in the, where the law tells them to go, Jerusalem, on the time that the law tells them to be there at the Feast of Pentecost. you got to be there. And then it says, now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool. So the Sheep Gate is the place where they would fulfill the law. It's where they would bring their sacrifices that they're going to haul their sheep in by the Sheep Gate to go in there. All of this is a type of what the law is. They're doing it all according to the law. We're going to go to Jerusalem at the appointed place, at the appointed time, with the appointed things i'm going to fulfill the law so by the sheep gate there is a pool and which is called in hebrew bethesda having five porches and we'll get to the number five because listen grace hasn't got loose yet so five at this point is not talking about grace it's actually talking about the first five books of the bible the law and it's a covered porch and the pool is even in a shape looking like the tablets of the commandments. Everything about this scenario is the law, the law, the law, the law, the law. Deuteronomy chapter two and verse 14 speaks about the people of Israel and how long they wandered in the wilderness. Anybody guess what it is? You can read John chapter five and it's right there. The people of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 38 years. Here is a man stricken by the pool of Bethesda and he has been stricken for 38 years. He's been stricken for 38 years. The people of God were in the wilderness for 38 years, wandering around because they could not get the law right. And the law could never heal them, and the law could never bring them out or never deliver them. The law just said, You gotta be in competition with other people. You gotta be the first in, you gotta be the, the strongest. Because here's what the guy says He goes, Jesus said, Hey, would you like to be whole today? Would you like to be well? And he's like, I would like to, but I'm not at the front of the line. I want to be healed, but by the time I get up there, other people have already beat me to the pool. It's not that I don't have a desire to. It's not that I don't want to. I'm just not the strongest. I'm not the swiftest, and I'm, I'm just not the best. And because I'm not the strongest, and because I'm the weakest here, I can't walk. I can't get there. I miss my moment. I want to have a moment. I want to be in that moment when the waters are troubled, but I miss my moment. And Jesus says, well, good for you, buddy. All this represents the law and what the law cannot do. The law tells you to go to an appointed place at an appointed time to bring an appointed thing. But listen, I am not the law. I am the fulfiller of the law. And so you're not at the front of the line. You may be at the back of the line. You couldn't get there, but I didn't need you to get there. I came here. You may not be the strongest, but it isn't based on your strength because when you were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. You're not the swiftest, but that's okay. I'm right here. You want a moment, but you keep missing your moments because the moment you can never get to the moment. So I'm bringing the moment right to you. Would you like to be whole? And some of us are so worked up about all the times that we were in competition with other people. And when we were in competition with other people, we missed our moments. You don't have to be the best singer, the best dancer, the best preacher, the best teacher. You don't have to be the best praying person because this is not a competition. Jesus was not there to help him win the competition. Jesus was there to bring him completely out of the competition and say, here's your moment. 
And the reason why I wanted to say all that to you is we're not in competition of the revival in Africa. We're not in competition with Chicago. We're not in competition with anywhere. Jesus has come here to take us out of the competition. Southern Illinois has not missed its moment. Missouri has not missed its moment. We've not missed revival. Revival is here, right here, and right now. We may not be the swiftest. We may not be the strongest. We may not be the wealthiest. But hey, Jesus didn't come for them. He said he came for me. Pastor, I mean, I would get healed, but man, by the time I get ready to get down there, the altar area is already filled up. Well, that's all right. Jesus can heal you right there. Man, there's a line for Pastor Jason. Well, those people have idolatry. You don't need me. You need Jesus. I'm, as I told you, when you get 45, you just say whatever you want to say. If I could just have Benny Hinn lay hands on me. Benny Hinn's not the healer. You'll drive 300,000 miles to get to some place, and Jesus can heal you right where you are. Your faith is not in men. Your faith is in the power of the Holy Ghost and fire and Jesus Christ. He can heal right where you are. Well, if I could just move, if I could just move, if I could just move. But you haven't moved here. If I could just get a different location, if I could just get a different location, if I could just. No, my friend, he is an ever present help in time of trouble. He's here right now. He's in this moment right now. You don't have to go anywhere else. He's here right now. We're not under the law. Thank you. I don't know who said that, but praise God for you. At that pool, they define who was there. J. Vernon McGee said he was in a conference and he had a man stand up and read this verse out of John chapter 5 where it says that there were impotent people there. And the man didn't say impotent. He said there was important people there. And J. Vernon McGee was going to correct him. And he said, you know what? I'm not going to correct him because there was important people there. See, the important people that we think are important, those are not the ones that are really important. The important people were the ones who were blind, who were halt, and who were withering is what the scripture says. Those three definitions define everything about our culture right now. It defines who we were prior to coming in contact with Jesus Christ. We were blind. And when you're blind, you can't see where you're going. No matter how much direction somebody gives to you verbally, you cannot see where you're going. So you're blind. We have a world right now that is spiritually blind. No matter how much direction we give to them verbally, they cannot walk right or talk right because they're blind. So in other words, you're not going to be able to legislate out of their blindness you can write whatever you want to write you can put it on Facebook a thousand times but blind people aren't reading what you're posting it's only going to come about when they have a moment with Jesus they were blind and they were halt spiritual blindness changes the way people walk Our world is walking straight to the pits of hell. Our world is walking crazy, halt, unable to walk properly. Why? Because they're blind. 
And we're trying to fix their walk without trying to fix their blindness. And then it says the withering. They were withering. The, inoper- the, the inoperable parts of their body, because they were no longer operating, they're now withering away like a plant without water. I mean, it, it was a plant. It had health in it, but because it didn't have any light and it had no nutrients going to that area, the plant is now withering and is going to die. They were withering away and dying. These are the people that were around the law. Blind. Halt. And withering. The law will always make you wither. The law is not life giving. The law is death, but the spirit is life. Well, if I can just, and if I could just go a week without cussing, if I could just go a week without this, and if I could just go a week without that, you have not, listen, Adam could not keep one commandment. And he couldn't resist his wife. You think you're going to be able to keep the law without the spirit? You think you're going to be able to discipline yourself to the point where you can make it? Because you believe that you're your own savior. And you can't make it without the savior. Listen, I, I wrote this quote down. I, I've, been, I've had it in my, I almost talked very Southern Illinois there. I've been having... Uh, I wrote this quote down and I put it in my Bible very specifically for me when I I made some decisions about my life. No man is free who cannot control himself. And that's, that's not written out of the Bible. That's what man has to say. But I would tell you, no man is free who wants to control himself. Because we're supposed to allow the spirit to control our lives. So you'll never be free until you yield control of your life to Jesus Christ. You will never be free. You think you can do it and you're going to fail and you're going to falter. You're going to be here next week down here in the altar. Oh Lord, I'm so sorry. I cussed about the woman at McDonald's. And then the next week you're like, if I could just go five days without cussing. They forgot my pickle on the sandwich and Lord, I just lost my mind. And then you come back next week and we're like, hey, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I can't say so because I lost my mind because I ordered it without sesame seeds and they put sesame seeds on it. And then you say, oh Lord, forgive me. And then you said, Lord, if I can just make it five days without cussing. And you get back there again, you said, I just want 15 sesame seeds and they put 14 on it and you lost your mind again and every week the cycle just keeps going but at some point you're going to have to say Lord I cannot do this on my own I'm going to need your help God and I'm turning it over to you I've been missing my moments I haven't seized my moment but today is the day Lord that I know that you're right here and all I have to do is be obedient to your word Because what did Jesus say to the man? Arise. Get up. You know what the man, he didn't say all this. You know, Lord, I've been been sick for 38 years. And you know, my grandpappy had it. My grandmommy had it. and, And he said, get up. But we want to argue with Jesus. I mean, I've been having this discussion with a couple of pastors 
and they have this problem in their church. I don't think I have this problem in my church, but they have it. So I've been counseling them about the problems in their church because I don't have those in my church. (laughs) And it relates to how we view the word of God. Like they have people in their church that read the scriptures and say, well, that's not what it meant. And I go, I don't have that in my church. I may have used to have it in my church, but what I've been doing, (laughs) running them people out, so that there are people who believe the word. Because here's what we get. Well, you know, I know it says by his stripes we're healed. But how many stripes was it and how deep we were there? And what kind of blood type was it? And, and, and Was it, I mean, it was 39 stripes and he'd been there for 38 years. So whoop, the Lord missed that one. He should have been 38 because if all the numbers would have lined up and the stars would have aligned and my palm would have said and the tarot cards would have said, then I would have believed it. Oh, man, it got deep in here. You know what's what's good about water that's troubled? You can get into it, and they don't know who's doing it. So you might think it's me that's saying this, but this is the Holy Ghost that's actually saying it. You've had all your faith in the astrologists and the tarot card readers and the palm readers and what your grandma said and what your grandfather said, but you have no faith in what the Word of God has to say. The Bible says no sickness nor nor disease can come near your dwelling. That's what the Word has to say. Now you can debate that all you want, but that's what the Word has to say. Well, that was just for the apostles and that was just for the disciples. You know what Bible they call that? That's the Thomas Jefferson Bible. Thomas Jefferson, any part of the Bible that he did not agree with, he took a pair of scissors and he cut it out. Well, if you're going to cut out one word of this or one jot or one tittle, you might as well throw the whole thing away. You either believe this or you don't believe it. There's no half-heartedness or I think I might. No, I either believe this or I don't believe this. I'm either going to live it or I'm not going to live it. This is why the church has been designed for the lukewarm. We want to say, oh, wait a minute. That was for a different culture or for a different day. Nope. It said, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. It's not for a different day. It's for today. Oh, healing was back there when Hagen did it and all those people no it's for today because it's by his stripes that we are healed and not by a word of faith or no it's by his stripes you know I feel bold in this house you better watch out blind halt withering and there are so many people who are withering right now because we have not been obedient to the word of the Lord Jesus said, arise, take up what has been holding you down, and you carry what's been carrying you. I'm going to heal you so much that what you think has been weighting you down, you'll carry out of here. It's not just a healing. He gives you strength to overcome it. Said, rise, take up your bed, and walk. For 38 years, he thought he'd missed his moment. And then God gave him a moment right there in front of him, and he seized it. And you know what that man's epitaph is? That was the man that was healed by the pool called Bethesda. 
And had he missed his moment, that have been that was the guy that used to lay by the pool called Bethesda. It all depended on what he did with his moment. What will you do with your moment? I mean, you imagine laying there by the pool year after year and having to wait a whole other year, a whole other year for the opportunity to get into the water with Jesus. And yet Jesus brought the moment to him. And if you'll seize your moment, you'll have a different epitaph than anybody else who misses their moment. I couldn't imagine missing my moment. But when I seize my moments, I feel exhilaration. There is nothing more depressing than when I go home from church after a Sunday service and I feel like we missed it. Yet there is nothing more exhilarating than when I walk out of the church service and say, man, whoo, we flowed in it today. Nothing more exhilarating. It matters what you do with your moment. How you handle your moment. There was a Pharaoh. His name was Pharaoh. And Jeremiah recorded a scripture about him in Jeremiah chapter 46. And if you're not familiar with what a Pharaoh is, a Pharaoh would have been the king of Egypt. I mean, the most powerful nation on the face of the earth, which means he would be the most powerful person on the face of the earth. I mean, I I was going to say it would be like the president of the United States, but the president of the United States has to run it through all the politics to make a decision. This was a dictatorship and whatever he decided he could do unlimited resources with unlimited potential. And this is his epitaph in Jeremiah chapter 46 and verse 17. It says there, they will say Pharaoh, the king of Egypt is a loudmouth who missed his opportunity. He had all the potential in the world. He had everything you could ever want. And all he did was talk about it and never did anything with it. Man, let that not be the epitaph of the church who has the king of kings as our headship, has all the resources that we would ever need to do anything we would ever ask. We have not because we ask not, but we brag about things but never ask for them. And I think the church has become a loudmouth who missed its opportunity. I hear people all the time, well, man, if they'd have just sang that song one more time, you're a loudmouth who missed your opportunity. Man, if you'd have just did, if they'd have just gave that word of knowledge or that word of wisdom, or that, if the waters are troubled, listen, when the waters were troubled, they weren't saying, oh, it's just for people who have a broken left toe that happened 13 years ago. If the water is troubled, I'm jumping in because I know that the waters heal and it's irrespective of what I'm dealing with. But we have a bunch of loudmouths who missed their opportunities. I believe the Bible, then let it be fulfilled in your life. An epitaph like that, I mean, there has to be a whole lot of what ifs wrapped up in that. You ever been around somebody that's the what if person? It doesn't always come out as what if. You say, you know, we could have. I would have. You know, if Melissa would have just, I would have. If Pastor Ever, I could have. Okay. And they just wear you out. And then when you say, you know, I've done, here's what they do. And maybe you don't have anybody in your life like this, but I got some folks up in my world that's like this. They're 40 years old and I say something and they're like, yeah, well, I did five tours in Nam. I'm like, you're 40. <laughs> I played baseball one time. Yeah, I hit five grand slams a game. You hit that ball. 
People who are always the would've and could'ves always live in a false reality of their past. Because they never seize their moments, they have to make up moments that they seized. There's a whole lot of what-ifs wrapped up in people's lives from people who missed their opportunities. So what opportunities or ifs are you missing? Let me show you just a few that you might consider out of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is filled with 10 ifs. Romans chapter 8, I'll just begin in verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God do you know that southern Illinois is crying out for the earnest expectation for the revealing of the sons of God who are the sons of God you we are the sons of God. That's why the enemy wants you to get out of calling yourself a son of God and you can call yourself a sinner because if you're a sinner, there is no expectation on you to be revealed as the son of God. And as long as he can keep you to be a sinner, he'll keep Southern Illinois in bondage. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, but we also have who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. How many of you right now, there is a groaning on the inside of you that says, Lord, you got to get us out of this mess. I mean, I watch the news or read the news and I'm like, Lord, have mercy. Lord, you're getting ready to come back. I never in my wildest dreams would have ever thought that I would be a pastor during the end times. My life was wonderful and great. After September the 11th of 2001, I thought, man, this nation is on its way to revival. All it took was a couple years to forget the pain of the terrorism attack. And man, we went further than we've ever been before. So there's something on the inside of the sons of God that's groaning, waiting for deliverance for we are saved in this hope that is seen but hope that is seen is not hope but for why does one still hope for what he sees but if we hope for what we do not see we eagerly wait for it with perseverance likewise the spirit also helps in our weaknesses for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought but the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of god let me just stop right there and say the church has lost its groan 
The church no longer groans when people get divorced. The church no longer groans when we see our children getting attacked by the enemy. The church no longer groans when we see the enemy having an onslaught. I mean, you all remember those old prayer meetings when we used to get down to business and there were words you couldn't even utter, but just something come out. You were groaning. There was an intercession on the inside of you that was making war. You don't even know how to pray. You just know that your spirit is at odds with the spirit of this age and there is a groaning that happens on the inside of you. I want to prophesy to this house that there's a groaning getting ready to happen on the inside of us. We're going to groan and in groaning we're going to give birth to the promise of God in our lives. Let me just skip down more over whom he predestined these he also called whom he called these he also justified and whom he justified these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us who can be against us. If God is for us, who can be against us? At some point, you're going to have to make a decision to take the uncertainty of an if and turn it into a certainty. It's not if God is for us. I know that God is for us. I know in whom I have believed in and I am Not uncertain about it. I am persuaded. Let me skip down. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded. I'm not working on an if anymore. I'm working on I know. I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. I'm not standing here on an if. I am persuaded that he is able. A certainty in your heart. That's a whole lot of ifs, 10 ifs in one chapter. But if his spirit lives in you, if Christ is in you, if your hope is in him, then if God before you, who can be against you? Once you seize the moment out of your if and you become persuaded, then you realize that if his spirit lives in you and your hope is in him, that there is nothing that the enemy can create now or even tomorrow that can separate you from the one that you are certain of. That's walking in faith, my friend. Be persuaded that neither death nor life or angels or principalities or any other created things shall be able to separate you from the love of Christ. Romans 8, 28. My grandfather used to pound this scripture into my head. He said, Jason, there is a step in Christianity that is beyond believing. And it is knowing. Right? We can talk to you about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and say we want you to receive it, believe it in faith. But then there's a step beyond just kind of believing that you have it. There's a step of knowing that you have it. And the difference is evidence. 
how we know that we have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The scripture talks about evidence. The evidence is of the speaking of another tongue. Something that you could not do on your own takes you from just believing and receiving by faith to now you know. And then that's why we can say you can never argue with a man with an experience. Oh, that's not real. Really? It happened to me all the time. And then my grandfather would quote Romans 8, 28. And we know. I'm not guessing about this. I'm not saying what if about this. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purposes. How many of you love God? How many of you have been loved by God? How many of you have been called according to his purposes? My friend, you don't have to stand here and say, what if he heals me? What if he delivers me? You can move beyond the if and move into a certainty. And we know that all of this is going to work together for our good. I wonder what's going to happen. Don't wonder. Know that God is going to make it good in your life. And we know. So don't miss your moment. No, move out of uncertainty. Second Corinthians chapter six, he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I've helped you. Behold, now, uh, do it tomorrow. Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. A few years ago, Actually, I've purchased this sermon probably 10 times, and people keep stealing the DVDs. So if you have them, bring them back to me. I would like to watch the sermon again. But in it, a church is putting on a play with a sermon. And it's a sermon about hell. And there was a lot of moments that were moving in it, but there was one moment in particular that really struck a chord in my heart. And in the play, Michael, the archangel, is walking a preacher through hell, and the preacher is asking how people got there. And out of nowhere, this man jumps up, and he's got a crown on his head. He's dressed to the nines, and he says one word, almost, almost. And the preacher asks the archangel said, what does he mean by almost? And he said, well, that's King Agrippa. You remember King Agrippa, don't you? He's in Acts chapter 26 when Paul is preaching the message of his life. I mean, Paul is throwing the gospel down. He's talking about the goodness and the greatness of God. Paul is talking about how God changed his epitaph from being Saul the persecutor to Paul the apostle. He is laying it down. And then as he concludes his sermon about moving from ifs to certainty, to moving from darkness into light, moving out of eternal damnation into eternal life, moving out of sickness and into health, all of a sudden Agrippa says, Paul, you all most persuaded me you almost did it paul do you think you could preach it better nope paul you think you do it? nope no, almost and i feel like that's what i do about every week i almost persuade you to move from an if to a certainty 
to move out of sickness into health, to move out of darkness into light. And the theme song of hell is almost. You know, I remember that Sunday in March. I remember, I almost, I almost did it. I almost gave my life to Jesus. I almost committed it. I almost turned it over to him. Almost. They just say it one more time. They just preach it one more time. They just call for it one more time. Well, here's your time. Here's your moment. Or you and almost. I almost. I almost believed him. See, I can stand here and tell you stories about God healing my body. And I would still almost persuade you. I can tell you about how God saved my father and almost persuade you. Because at some point in time, you're going to have to move. And you're going to have to be persuaded for yourself. The what ifs will destroy you. So let me give you another what if. What if this is true? What if the Lord is getting ready to come back? What if Gabriel's getting ready to moisten his lips? What if the waters are troubled right now? What if by his stripes we are healed? What if the chastisement of our peace was upon him? What if he was bruised for our iniquities? What if? I know where I stand. I don't stand in an if. I stand persuaded. I stand knowing that he is a savior, that he is a healer, that he is a way maker, he is a peace speaker, he is a provider. Whatever it is in your life, he is. It's not if he is. He is. He is. And I just want to be like Dan Brock to some of you. You've brought your little letters of complaint. This hurts in my body and that hurts in my body. And, and I just want to say, there's an epitaph that reads as an answer to whatever you're going through. See, Pilate thought he was being cool when he put a sign up over the top of Jesus. He thought he was being derogatory when he put king of the Jews. But you know, that's not the last thing that was heard from Jesus. Do you know what the last thing was heard? It is finished. But Lord, I have cancer. My epitaph reads, it is finished. But Lord, I have sugar diabetes. It is finished. Lord, I have a spot on my lung. It is finished. Lord, my children are wayward. It is finished. Lord, don't you know it? It, whatever it is, it is finished. 
you didn't have to do anything for it because we're not living on your epitaph. We're living on his epitaph. And today it is finished. So it's not over my dead body. It's over his. And it's finished. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to check out our podcast weekly, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also visit siwcenter.org to find out more information about Southern Illinois Worship Center. Be sure to join us right here next week.